Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. The second part of my conversation with Shui, and I, I think this is probably what she really wanted to talk about. She was fascinated by the mystery of Dennis Walker, and I, she was catching me cold on this. I had no chance to prepare, but as I thought about it, as I was preparing this episode and editing it, I realized, you know, the fact that I didn't know that much is because there wasn't that much to know. It's an unsolved mystery. So thanks, Shui. I hope you do pursue that because I think it uh, it's something that, even though there are probably some negative aspects, there may Maybe some interesting aspects that would draw people into what I have said is the greatest hobby. So thanks, sponsors, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, Compsy.com, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Hugs and Scott, Auctions, Heritage Auctions, Upper Deck, Panini, and Tops. So thanks, Shui, for the uh, discussion, and I uh, hope you do get it resolved. And uh, it's a fascinating story. You were talking about that chase, Jim, and the idea of missing memorabilia and the chase to find it or how it is. And I think that's where I got into the story about this baseball collector in Oregon named Dennis Walker, who had this collection, and then it went missing. I was curious if that, you're nodding, I was wondering if it rang any bells, if you knew anything about it. That was a long time ago, but that was very mysterious and curious. But here's what I would say is in the old days, collecting was more of a quiet, introspective, solitary activity. Now it's very communal and Mm -hmm. you know who you bought the card from. You show people that you have the card. So what you have, where you got it, there's a lot more transparency. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. With Dennis Walker, there wasn't much transparency at all to know what's going on. I wouldn't say that it couldn't happen again, but now so many of the cards are graded and they have serial numbers. So they're really trackable. The industry has made strides, but it's still a hobby at the heart of people collecting things they like and other people buying and selling and trading. I was looking at some of the memorabilia that went missing from his collection and some of the standouts were, of course, like a few cards that I noted down, Jim. I was curious how much they'd be today, if found, how much they'd value at a market, even if it came to you. I think one of it was the 1933 Napoleon Lejoy cards and then an uncut sheet of the 1933 Goudet cards with Babe Ruth on the top row, T206 bonus Wagner cards. Are these common? How much do they value at if they go on sale today? Let's just say each one of those, there probably would be a hundred or less in the world of those cards. They're some of the most valuable cards that you could have. But nowadays... I think the industry is moving toward identification and authentication that includes a digital fingerprint to -hmm. know which one of these it is. Because like for some of those cards you're talking about, back 50 years ago, people knew exactly who had those cards because there were so few of them. And they Mm -hmm. were the hands Mm -hmm. of the serious collectors. And now it's gotten bigger, but still... You can know the pedigree, the the provenance of a certain card. With Dennis Walker's stuff, I'm sure that went underground. Yeah. I don't think that stuff was graded. And so if you wait a certain period of time and then you can bring it again, mm-hmm. it's just very mysterious to me. I don't know all the details. And nowadays, that'd be more difficult. If something was stolen, you would know which one of the Lajoues which one Mm -hmm. of the Gowdy sheets, which one Mm -hmm. of the Wagners. And frankly, the money in the Wagner would be in the millions of dollars. Right. And so Mm -hmm. the Lajoie used to be almost as valuable, but that could be $100,000. Yeah. 
For millions of dollars, the FBI gets involved, the Federal Bureau oh, yeah. of Investigation. For 100000 <laughs> maybe not. But for millions of dollars, I think they get involved. And then people get in trouble. They go to jail. And good. If they, if yeah. they commit crimes like that, they should be put away. Absolutely. I definitely think the FBI are involved anyway. But um, as you mentioned, the, the cards, even about Dennis Walker, there's just so little about his life and about his existence on this planet that it's hard to like, piece together what happened. Uh, but I think it's a very fascinating story. And it, it's Well, it's a subject yeah. for serial or some yeah. other podcast. But unfortunately, I just don't know that there wouldn't be a lot of dead ends because there's just not enough known. And I think he was cryptic himself. And so yes. finding enough. But again, that's the kind of thing people love of a podcast. The final episode has Shui needs to be mystery solved. <laughs> and I'm not sure it can be solved, <laughs> but it's an interesting story. When I talk to other people about it, at least like people within my uh, work organization, and we discuss these things about the storytelling, there's one part of me which goes, the chase is also an incredibly, I feel like that's just intrinsic to me as a journalist, yeah. like going after something. But I fully agree. I think there has to be a destination. Uh, that am I well, thinking? Otherwise, people, most journalists, and mm -hmm. my criticism of journalists, <laughs> yes. if they're investigative journalists, is that they write the headline and yep. then they do the story and the research. And really, you have to do the research and see where it takes you. And yep. if it takes mm -hmm. you to a dead end, you better be very creative in telling the story. Yeah. Otherwise, your readers are frustrated. Yeah. Then you have the, I, the TLDR thing where people don't, again, the longer it is, I'm being your journalism professor now, the longer <laughs> it is, we, the better it has to be. Yeah. You can't do mediocre long form work. If you have a short story or mm -hmm. some little vignette and yeah. it's doesn't hit on all cylinders, then that's one thing. But if it's a book or something lengthy, it, it needs to come out with a, moral of the story or the mm -hmm. mystery solved or something like that. I absolutely agree. It's great that you bring it up because I feel like it's good to be reminded. I love long form storytelling. That's where I want to be. I want to be an investigative journalist as well. It's always good to, yeah, to be reminded occasionally where the story has to go. But I'll give you a business <laughs> idea for you. If you wanted, this would not be the popular path. It's the road less right. traveled, but most of the authoritative pieces that are done in journalism. Again, I'm just editorializing here, but I think there's a cancel culture in journalism too. And it would be an unpopular stance. But if you were just to take a fresh look at mm -hmm. some of the definitive and somewhat authoritative stories of uh, situations in our culture, right. and just to take the counterpoint and just to see where it goes, mm -hmm. because most of the journalists, they will ask a question but they phrase the question the way they want to phrase it, and then it, they come up with an answer, and that answer is a true answer to that question. Yeah. But if you were a journalist that asked other questions, that mm -hmm. said, well, they didn't ask this question, I wonder what that is. I think there's room for that. Now, where you get published, because there's a lot of cancel culture. For example, think about the Dennis Walker situation in a kind of a counter-instinctive or counter-intuitive okay. way. To me, that would be interesting. That would be interesting yeah. journalism. I, I listen to Intelligence Squared U.S. Debates. It's a mm -hmm. podcast. Right. And it uh, comes out once yeah. a week. And they take themes that are in the culture and the politics 
mm-hmm. and they'll have two experts on each side and mm-hmm. have a very well-moderated, short-form debate. It's an hour. And the right. goal is not to convince, well, the original format, they had 100 people in the live mm-hmm. audience, and they polled all the people at the beginning if they were in favor of the proposition or against it. And if mm-hmm. it was 60 of them were in favor and 40 were against, right. then at the end of the debate, they asked the same question, and whoever moved their position the most would be mm-hmm. the winner. So it could still be a majority Right. but less of a majority. But these debaters are very top-notch, very respectful, mm-hmm. great right. credentials. Mm-hmm. But I'm not seeing that in the culture. If you watch your news station that is slanted the way you are comfortable, mm-hmm. and I'd like to see something that's more balanced, where your goal is not mm-hmm. to persuade somebody, but allow yourself to be persuaded that you don't know everything. You come in and you take a fresh pair of eyes. Yeah. To mm-hmm. something and why are they doing that? Those are some of the questions that need to be asked. If you're going to dedicate your, your life to something, you can either go with the flow and do what everybody else does, or it might be the unpopular position, sweetie, to yeah. say, everybody is saying this, I'm going to investigate whether or not there's more to the story. Right. I mean, there's a podcast there too. Mm-hmm. And, and any kind of journalism, people want to know the whole story. Mm-hmm. Yep, I think including the journalist as well. But how would that look like in Dennis Walker's situation, Jim? What You'd have to do a lot of original. You'd have yeah. to get to people that, that knew him well and all that stuff. It's a cold trail now, I think. Yeah. But still, there it's are people that would, it's uh, not six degrees of separation, but it, you wouldn't know where it would take you. You would talk to yeah. somebody, and if you're really passionate about it, which I think some of these serial type of podcast, they really get into secondary and tertiary sources to where, who else could I talk to about this? And that'd be fascinating. Yes. Uh, hopefully, I am very excited about the story and about yeah. taking it. I feel like because the trail is so cold, I think it's just yeah. a vast, endless amount of possibilities. You could go anywhere yeah. with it. And I think I'm very open to that. That's what I love about the story. But more and more people that are interested in this category yeah. of sports mm-hmm. cards and memorabilia. So baseball, yes. especially. Absolutely. I was listening to Serial the first season, like the one that really kick-started podcasting. Back to me, it was actually quite interesting listening to it now to see how different my perspective was on it. Because I remember listening to it back then and thinking, this is mind-blowing. It's going to change everything. And it did. But I feel like if you listen back to it now, you're like, it's not that great. But at that time... I, I felt it was a great exercise in just listening back to it. That's it what kind gives hindsight. It created a new form. It definitely did. So I'm just saying there's other new forms to be created. And the young people will figure those out. They they didn't know if it was going to be a big success or a small success. I think they thought they had something, but now it's created a a genre. Absolutely. It's a huge industry now and there's so much room, but it's created so much incredible content since like Serial has grown. And some of the recent stuff is incredible as well. Uh, The Trojan Horse Affair. Love it. I've been listening to it recently, so... It's been um, great. Dennis Walker, even investigating his death. There's a the story of that. I don't know that's fully known. How he got his cards, where they were kept, all those things. Who sold the cards to him. Mm-hmm. I think there's, like we're saying about NFTs and blockchain, is there's a chain of custody that's a little bit murky. Yep. And where he got his money, what happened to lots of things. Anyone back in those days or anyone who's still operating now, any collectors who would have known him. Again, they would be old. Yes. When did he die? Yeah. He died in 1989. I don't know where he got his cards. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I haven't thought about this in 30 years. There was a lot more to the story. There were lots of rumors about him and the source of the money, how he died, those kind of things. He wasn't in the mainstream. Most of the collectors back in those days, especially in the 70s, everybody knew everybody and they knew Mm -hmm. where they got their cards and they wouldn't broadcast it, but they would narrowcast in the fraternity, in the clan, in the tribe of card collectors. It was a smaller group. I was in that group. When we'd be at these card shows together, there'd be hundreds of people there, not thousands or tens of thousands. Mm -hmm. And they would get together and they would share in confidence of where Mm -hmm, they got their mm -hmm. cards. And there were territorial kind of things, but he wasn't part of that. So that made him like an outsider, even when he had that stuff. I think it was really fascinating that he ended up opening his own Dennis Walker's National Baseball Hall of Fame. You can't get those cards at your local card shop. He had to have some people finding these cards for him. Those cards wouldn't have been in Oregon. Mm -hmm. The big cards, they wouldn't be. Mm -hmm. But somebody there might have known. But I just don't remember anybody that really knew him. Yeah. He (laughs) supposedly had these huge cards. He did. These are just known to us that yeah. there's so much more that's in the unknown. That's, well, that's, never that's been cream of the crop, what what, yeah. what you said. But again, there was some question about everything. So yeah. There's a National Sports Collectors Convention that's late July in Atlantic City. But yeah. all the people there would be people that could potentially, that would be the greatest concentration of people that could have known Dennis Walker. Okay. Under one roof. Now, there'll be tens of thousands of people there, but Mm -hmm. the booth holders, the dealers, the corporate types, the older people that are there, I don't know that there'd be no comment or just not know anything, but that would be the place where you could talk to people. But I think very few people are going to know him because he he was not out and about. He was reclusive or mysterious right from the get-go. I will note that down and try to make it. That seems, at least to ask, it doesn't hurt to ask. The answer is no, it's fine, but it doesn't hurt to ask. Um, Thank you so much. I will keep you posted. Have a great day. You too. Okay, thanks.